Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Well, what a great way to start the morning out is um, worshiping God with everything that we have. And thank you for being a part of that. And let's give a hand of appreciation to our team who works tirelessly every single week to lead us into the presence of God, into his throne room. And if you haven't already, would you grab your handouts? And on one side is a great place to take some notes. On the other side, it is uh, chock full of great opportunity to serve and minister and be a part of what God's doing at and through Connections Church. As I mentioned, we've got a team uh, heading to Honduras right now to serve down there with Joey and Kelly this week. Pastor Scott, Joseph, uh, Justin are on their way and going to be building some uh, new equipment and some things for the children and the ministries there as they uh, started to uh, on the trip last year. Uh, did a lot then, got a lot more to do. And then I uh, want to pray for uh, Miss Linda. She's going to have a pacemaker put in tomorrow. So as we uh, I pray uh, today and this evening, remember her that God would just uh, be with her and Don, and she's at the hospital uh, now getting ready for that, so uh, we're believing for a full recovery, healing, restoration to her, but uh, this morning we're going to jump into God's Word, and uh, appreciate Pastor Scott for uh, taking the Word last Sunday when I was not here, and in our first two weeks of this uh, powerful study on the book of Nehemiah in rebuilding the walls in the city for God's glory, We see that unfortunately, just as in our lives, whenever God calls us to something great, not everyone is going to be thrilled and excited and supportive. Have you ever noticed how that works? You come in with a a great revelation from God, a great idea, a dream he's put in your heart, or or just something good that you want to go after. Maybe it's not even a a godly type thing per se that that you are pursuing. Maybe God's put in your heart or or an idea came to you, I want to go get my doctorate degree, I want to advance my studies, I want to go further in my career, something like that. Have you ever noticed how it doesn't take long before some opposition will arise at some point in time that somewhere somebody's going to come along and say, that's not a good idea. You know you were dumb in school. You never could do anything right. So how dare you think you could rise up to the, to the level of, of getting a doctorate degree or something like that. So, so inevitably, somewhere along the lines, there's going to be some opposition. And that's why I entitled this morning's teaching, A Funny Thing Happened, because everything had been going smooth. Nehemiah felt the burden. He saw the, the destitution of the city and the walls of Jerusalem, God's great, great crowning city of, 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 of glory. And, and everything was just in disrepair and and God moved on Nehemiah's heart and he rallied the troops and he went to the king or Texas that he that he worked for and he said I want to go and do this great task that I feel like God has set me here to do and, and so getting approval from the king and going and and rallying the troops and helping get together this this group of people that are going to undertake this massive endeavor as pastor Scott walked us through last week Everything's going smooth, man. They are on fire, building the walls of the city and restoring God's glory. And then all of a sudden, you get to chapter 4, and everything kind of uh, breaks loose. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. His enemies step forward and begin to harass and try to stop the work that, that God is doing through these great people. When Igor Sikorsky was 12 years old, his parents told him that Competent authorities had already proven that human flight is impossible. Well, he went on to build the first ever helicopter. And in his American plant, he posted this sign. 
According to the recognized aerotechnical test, the bumblebee cannot fly because of the shape and weight of its body in relation to the total wing area that it has. You ever thought about that, how big those bumblebees are and those little bitty wings that they have? Isn't that kind of odd looking? Then the rest of this sign says, the bumblebee does not know this, so he goes ahead and flies anyway. (laughs) Don't you love that? And that's the kind of mentality. I believe that's the heart that Nehemiah had. doesn't matter what you come at me with. It doesn't matter if you tell me it can't be done. It doesn't matter about anything that you have to say or try to do to me. I know, and here's the key, I know in which God has called me forth. I know he has set me here for this purpose. I know that he has charged me with this assignment. So, Whatever you want to do, whatever you want to try, here's what I tell you. Step up and bring it. That's kind of South Gastonia, I know, but that's that's who I am. So that's the heart of Nehemiah, and I love that. Because first thing on your outline there, his, his story shows that when we say yes to God to try to accomplish anything significant for the Lord, then you will face strong opposition. Have you figured that out yet? Listen to me this morning, church. Satan never bothers with half-hearted people who are content with a ho-hum spiritual existence. You're just kind of floating through, like take it or leave it, like halfway in, halfway out, just kind of cruising in your spiritual walk. Guess what? You're not a target. You're not a big target at all. But if you become on fire for Christ, then you better watch out. The name Satan literally means adversary. He is committed to opposing God and his people, especially when they are zealous to exalt God's glory and make him famous. His mission, as stated in Peter's writing, is simply this, to steal, kill, and... Oh, you've heard that before, huh? Now, this is true on a personal level. Take, take your life. Take your own walk with Christ. What's going to happen is, as long as you live with one foot in the world... Living according to the world's values and and for the world's goals, Satan will not trouble you a whole lot. You can go to church. You you can even pray some and read your little Bible, do your little daily devotional stuff, and he's not going to mind that much at all over those things. But look at me right now. The moment you wake up from your spiritual lethargy, shake off the worldly mindset and commit yourself to radical obedience in Jesus Christ, then what is going to happen is you're going to encounter a powerful spiritual opposition to that move. I guarantee it. Every time you rise up and say something has to be done, Again, going back to David versus Goliath, whenever he was rising up to say something has to be done, what was the first possibly can? Back in action. Thank you, team. Let's give them a hand this morning. But I'm telling you something, when a church rises up, when church leaders decide that's the kind of people we're going to be, that's the kind of body we're going to be, then the enemy puts us in the crosshairs and says, I'm going to do everything I can to destroy that group of people right there. Why? Because they are advancing the kingdom. They're not getting caught up in, in politics. They're not playing games that, that people like to play. They're not getting involved in drama. How many of you just hate drama? Come on. And whenever we make that stand as a church or as church leaders and say, here's who we are, here's whose we are, and here's the business we're going to be about, then the enemy gets really nervous and he comes out of the woodwork and tries to do everything that he can to destroy and to distract us from what God has called us to Listen, folks, he is committed to opposing the work of Jesus Christ in every way that he can. 
So we've got to be ready for that. We need to be aware of that. We need to know how to respond to that. Now, if you go back and look at chapters three through six uh, of, of Nehemiah, you, you understand that this is a sort of a back and forth tennis match of advances and setbacks. And I just wanna ask this question right now. Just lock eyes with me for a moment across this room. How many of you feel like you're, you're living life like, like that right now? Take two steps forward, one step back. One step forward, two steps back. It's just back and forth, advance and, and decline and, and, and up and down and, and listen. You can kind of relate to what's going on in chapters three through six as we'll move through this today in the next week or two. And, and, and this cycle shows us one thing very clearly, that the Christian life is a life of consistent conflict. Let me, let me tell you this right up front. There will always be opposition when you make a stand for Christ in your life. Always. Count on it. Write it down. Bank it. Everything. The enemy's going to try to do everything he can to sidetrack us and to cause us to give up completely, to throw in the towel. And even though it was God's will for the wall to be rebuilt, listen to this because this is crucial, he did not remove the opposition from the equation. Even though it's God's will for you to grow strong in your faith and to, to labor to advance his kingdom and be a part of the mission, God will not remove the opposition because if we respond properly, the opposition is going to drive us to greater dependence on the Lord and to greater determination to do what he's called us to do. Does that make sense? Having an enemy makes us stronger. Having that adversary comes, come at us makes us determine in our hearts, you know what? We are going to rise up and beat this guy. Now, I grew up playing sports. I love playing sports still to this day, even in my advanced years. <laughs> nice way to put it, right? I still like getting out here and competing, and I, and I find myself, even though the body can't quite do what it used to do, but my mind and my heart and my spirit, that drive is still there, that competitiveness. Even if we play, sat down and played checkers, I'd be wanting to beat the fire out of you. I mean, I would, I would just want to destroy who, whatever it is. And that's, that's, I have to be careful, not cross the line. But there has to be something in us that says, I am going to win. I am going to be victorious. And I believe that's why God allows enemies to, to stay around in our lives whenever he calls us to something great that, that he just doesn't wipe them out and say, here, it's smooth sailing, clear path, no problems whatsoever. It's going to be easy peasy, no, no worries at all. You go make it happen. No. There will be an adversary there. God will allow that. But listen, he also tells us in his word that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. So we have everything we need to be victorious if we'll just tap into it. We've got to respond properly. The first defense against the enemy is to be aware of the kinds of opposition that he's going to use. And we, we find that in chapter 4. We find what they came at Nehemiah and his crew with. But again, please understand this. If you know Jesus Christ and attempt to accomplish anything for him, the enemy is going to come at you and oppose you. So what are the, the things that he used? Now, there are six things that we find, at least, the tactics of the enemy. And I, I kind of gave you a spot on your outline to, to write those down here in the next few moments. And the first one is simply this, mad people. You ever encountered somebody that's just kind of mad, ticked off, upset, angry? Today we say they've got anger issues. Well, that's what the first thing happens when Sambalot, the governor of Samaria, he becomes furious, verses 1 and 7 tell us, and very angry. And the Hebrew word means burning mad. A couple weeks ago we talked about hunk of hunk of burning love. He's a hunk of hunk of burning mad. He's, he's ticked off. He's upset. 
And literally, here's why. Because he sees Jerusalem being revived. He sees this great city of God being reborn. He sees somebody doing something about the trouble and the mess they're in. And it ticks him off because he knows if Jerusalem comes back, it's going to put a huge dent in his wallet. It's about money. Isn't that a big factor in today's world still? Because he knows the trade routes are going to change and, and commerce is going to start going back through Jerusalem again and all that. So he is very upset. So he, he decides something's got to be done and he's the guy that's going to do it. And his anger compels him to oppose this great work. As a matter of fact, he starts to ally with some of his normal enemies he put aside his differences with the Ammonites to the east, the, the Arabs to the south, and the Philistines to the west in anger over what Nehemiah was trying to do. And they all came together threatening to stop the work by violence if necessary. You ever felt that way? Everybody's rallying against you. People are upset. They're angry. They're showing their teeth, so to speak. Anybody have a dog? lovely precious pets most of the time but you get them upset and what do they do Arr. they show you what they got <laughs> and I mean they show it and they growl and they, they they get kind of intimidating I kind of picture this with with the enemies here that are that are rallying around Sambalot and his his crew they're 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 showing their teeth they're getting upset they're they're angry now, Satan often uses the anger of others to try to squelch the newfound joy and zeal of new believers. And you're thinking, well, how does this relate to me? Well, well, imagine this scenario with me. Somebody answer that phone and let me keep on going. Suppose that a teenager who grew up in a culturally religious home where the gospel was never actually preached, but this, this teenager goes to church camp and gets radically saved. He goes home and joyously tells his parents how he's met Jesus Christ as a Savior and Lord. And, and are they overjoyed? Likely not, because they may explode and say something like, what do you mean you've become a Christian? How, how do you think we raised you as, as a heathen? I mean, what's all this nonsense about being born again? Why are they, why are they mad? And I, I, listen, I was a youth pastor for 10 years. I've seen this exact scenario play out in families. And let me let you in on why, why, you, why they're, they're upset and they're angry. The reason being is this. They're mad because if their kid gets serious about God, then it threatens their worldly, self-centered lifestyle. The, the same thing happens when a wife meets Christ. Her zeal for God will convict her husband of his wicked ways and his sinfulness in his life. And he responds, and not, not with joy and, and gladness and, and, and happiness and all that. He responds with anger. Why? Because the pressure is going to be put on him. Why are you not surrendering to Christ? Why is your life not being changed like mine? And so, therefore, it's not that joy that you would think would happen when this happens to a teenager or a wife or a husband, vice versa, whatever. But instead, there's some anger going on there because there's a threat to their lifestyle. He uses another tool. The next one is mockery and sarcasm. Sam Balut and his buddies gather within hearing distance of the wall and ask a bunch of sarcastic questions. Verse 2, what are those feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? What he means is, do they think they can complete this project and offer God living sacrifices of thanksgiving? Can they finish this in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? And after each rhetorical question, you got to imagine that his, his buddies probably roared with laughter. And then Tobiah threw in his sarcastic barb. He said, ah, that wall's so feeble, if a fox could jump up on it, this, this pitiful wall would break down with, with no trouble at all. You ever been doing something, people just actually talking smack to you? This is some of the first century original smack talk right here. And they're just belittling you, putting you down, just making fun, just on and on and on. 
And all the time, you're just working away. You're just hammering away. You're getting those rocks and putting them in place, and you're just going to town. But you're hearing it. You're hearing it. You're hearing it. Man, we, we grew up with that old saying, you know, sticks and stones break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And, and we've, we've learned that that's just not the truth, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, that just ain't right. Now, all you English teachers, you just got to disregard what I just said, but that just ain't right. In no kind of way, because words make a profound impact in our lives. When somebody speaks over us that you're stupid, you're, 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 you're no good, you're, you're not wanted, you know, you're not loved, nobody cares, all that kind of stuff, man, it gets embedded down inside of who we are, and it begins to mess with us all throughout our lives. So here they are just using this ridicule and scorn and mockery and sarcasm and, and just going on and on and on. Folks, I'm telling you something, that is a powerful thing. Um, you, you become a Christian, you get on fire for God, and guess what happens? People come out of the woodwork, start making fun, and start, start putting you down, calling you holy roller. I've been called preacher man, holy roller, you name it on down the list. I've been called a lot worse than that, too, at times, but we won't go there, okay? This is Sunday morning church, so. But it's amazing. It's amazing how often people can use words like that to ridicule and scorn. And, and what, what really is happening is a lot of times is they're wanting you to fail, they're wanting you to fail so they can say, see, I, I told you it wasn't real. This Christianity stuff is, is bull. All of you hypocrites, you're all the same. You all sin just like I do. So, so you've got nothing on me. Whatever they could do to try to stop the work they were trying to do, then they, they moved on to threats and intimidation. If anger and ridicule does not work, then the enemy is going to get more aggressive. Nehemiah's enemies had to be very careful since he was working under the king's permission. They couldn't just rally the troops and march into Jerusalem or they would be charged with a rebellion against the king himself. But, they could use and did use threats of violence in verses 8 and 11, which they circulated among the Jews living nearby there in verse 12. Small bands of terrorists could, could sneak in and pick off a few of the people working on the wall, and Sambalet would just tell our Texas that the renegade band that he didn't have control over did that. He didn't know that was happening. So they were under that kind of threat. They, they, they realized that possibly they could be physically attacked Satan still uses subtle or overt threats to intimidate and oppose Christians. If you don't keep quiet about the boss's corruption, you're going to get fired. If you discipline your child as Scripture directs, then the authorities are going to take him away. Isn't that hilarious? They, they, they have no problem whatsoever aborting babies, killing children. But the minute you want to discipline your child in a biblical way, man, they're all up in arms and we've got to protect the child. They don't even realize how directly opposed they are to themselves. So, so you have those kind of things going on in our culture, and our society right now that, that come at us as followers of Jesus Christ. So we have to determine and decide, what are we going to do? Are we Are going to give in to that? Are we going to let them intimidate us? Are we going to let them push us back and, and make us give up or not? Because here's what happened next. After, after those three different attacks, discouragement and exhaustion kind of begin to set in because apparently there was this discouraging proverb or a little work song that circulated among the workers at this point in verse 10. The strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. Now, that's not a real catchy tune. I give you that. <laughs> it doesn't flow. It doesn't rhyme. But the message is very clear. Here, here's where it's at. Check this out. Watch just a minute. They're at the halfway point of completing this project. You ever started something and got to the halfway point, and man, you felt like, wow, done a lot, but boy, there's still a lot to do. That's, that's where they were. they were. They were right there in the middle, and they were looking around them, and the piles of trash and the rubbish and, and the garbage that needed to be all removed and cleaned and cleared out so that the new wall could be completed was still, still overwhelming. 
And they knew they still had halfway still to go. So the, their mind starts just going in, in overdrive and all this, this ridicule and scorn and all this intimidation, everything is kind of piling on them to the point that they're getting discouraged. You ever, you ever been, I, I guarantee you right now, in this room, maybe watching live stream right now or later this week, some of you are, are at that very place of discouragement at this moment. And it's easy to do. Talked a couple times recently about our the joy of our salvation when we first came to Christ. Some of you have followed Christ for a long time and it, you remember it, but it, man, it's a distant memory. And, and talked about how that just floods our hearts and, and, and how joyful we are. I mean, it's beyond comparison. You can't even describe the feeling that you get when you are born again in Jesus Christ. Nothing in this world will touch it. But kind of a funny thing happens as you move on down the road in your walk with Christ a little bit. There'll be ebbs and flows, ups and downs. We talked about back and forth and, and all that kind of stuff a few moments ago. And in, in the course of going through some time with that, we kind of find ourselves at some point in time in the middle, so to speak, where, man, we've come a long way, but wow, we've got a ways to go. And, and we, we're just kind of tired and, and, and kind of some things have been beaten on us and some discouragement has set in and, and just don't know if we can make it. To the finish line. And that's, that's why the word reminds us over and over, restore to us the joy of our salvation. Don't let us lose that. Don't let us get away from that completely. God, renew my heart. Keep that fire burning. And I've likened it to a marriage many, 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 many times. Those of you who are married or have been married before, you understand what I'm talking about. When you are in that initial honeymoon stage, I mean, there's nothing like it. You're just over the moon for each other, and it's all goo-goo-ga-ga and all that stuff. Nobody can even comprehend what you're actually saying to each other. You've got this other language. You're, you're talking, and you're just you know, walking on sunshine, and everything's hunky and dory, and it's just a, a wonderful time. But then through the course of years, if you don't keep the work going of loving each other, romancing each other, dating each other, staying close, intimate, connected, then over time, something happens called the drift. And before you know it, you're just roommates. <laughs> and usually not very good ones at that. I wish you would get your dirty clothes off the floor. Do you never see the trash overflowing and, and want to take it out, you know? Haven't had a home-cooked meal in like four years. What's the deal? We've been eating KFC for like four straight years. I'm sick of it. So, so it kind of happens that, that that midway point, and that's kind of where they're at when we get to this section of, of discouragement and exhaustion setting in. You can get tired. How many of you feel like you're just drained emotionally, physically, spiritually right now? Your, your tank is, is whoo, almost on empty. I believe with all my heart that God is here today to revive, refill, and replenish to remove the discouragement and the exhaustion. Verse 6 tells us they had lost their earlier heart for the work that had resulted in the wall rapidly being built to the halfway point. That's a tough thing because at that point, look at me, you literally feel like quitting. Those of you that are runners, and I've dabbled in it for the last 12 years and enjoy it and love it, and I'm no marathon runner by no means, but seems to me that there's always a point in every run where you just feel like you're hitting the wall and you're ready to quit. 
and I've shared this a number of times through the years, but there's, there's something about that mentality. You've got to crash through the quitting points. You've got to push through that, that moment, that time. You've got to tell yourself, my body's not feeling it, but you know what? I don't listen to my body necessarily always. Sometimes it's good to, but I've got to push forward because you know what's inside of you. You know what you can do. And here, this is not a physical thing. This is a spiritual battle right here. Because at that halfway point, the enemy's going to continue to pile it on. But what you've got to do is find a way. You've got to hide yourself in Christ. You've got to run to that rock that shall not be moved. You've got to hide yourself in the cleft of his love. You've got to run and embrace Christ there at the table and, and wrap your arms around him and say, Jesus, fall in love. I need to fall in love with you again, fresh and new right now, God. I need you to restore the joy of my salvation. You need to get on your face before God. You need to lift up holy hands. You need to run to him and worship him with everything you've got. You need to pour yourself back into the king of glory who loves you more than anybody ever will and find that fountain there is a fountain who is a king victorious savior and lord of everything our rock and our redeemer our glorious god that's who we need to run to and that's what nehemiah and his crew needed to do right now because they were at a point that they were about ready to throw in the towel and say it is not going to happen we cannot get through this discouragement and exhaustion will do that. So if you think that was it, then surprise, there's another one. Negativism set in. Number five on your outline, the criticism, the mockery came from the enemy on the outside. And this negativism came from the Jews themselves who lived near the enemy. And, and the, the actual thing in verse 12, it tells us is these people were not involved in the work of rebuilding the wall. That's significant. Every organization has these people whether it be a church, a school, a civic group, whatever you want to say. There's always the people that, hey, what, what needs to happen? I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to get to work. Hand me a hammer. I'm going to start building that wall. Whatever needs to be torn down, here, hand me, hand me some saws and some demo stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to break it out. You know, whatever happens, I, I, I'm going to be a part of making it happen. And then there's always those people that kind of sit back and watch saying, what do they think they're doing? You know, we tried that 30 years ago. It didn't work. So I've just been sitting here ever since, you know, being a critic. You got the critics, you know what I'm saying? They just kind of sit back and say, well, worship day was pretty good. I give it about a seven, maybe six, seven and a half, six, I don't know. They didn't really sing the hymn that I wanted to sing. I didn't sing this song. They didn't do it, this, this beat, whatever, you know. I, maybe, maybe a strong seven and a half at, at, at best. Yeah, missions, who, who needs to go out in the world? There's, there's a ton of missionaries out there. Who, who needs to help people, I, you know? Connect group. I don't need a connect group. I, I'm, you know, I, those things are going to fail in, in six months. I always have the critics, and these people weren't a part of rebuilding the wall. They weren't helping matters, but they were hearing what the enemy were saying. And then they were going back to report it to the people who were actually working on the wall. You know what I'm saying? They were going back saying, hey, these guys are coming at you. They're going to they're take you out. They're going to stop this project. You might as well give up. It can't be done. And what happens? Negativism is like a poison. Once it gets in the system, it circulates through everything, and the next thing you know, it can kill you. If there's not something to come in and push the poison back, and that's what was going on right here. They were hearing that. It was spreading through the camp. The workers were starting to, to get that and, and think that and feel that and listen to that and, and respond to it as, as being what, what's going to happen. It's kind of funny. We, we've, in our 
society for as long as I can ever remember, there's always been this comparison, uh, is the glass half empty or half full? Are you a half empty kind of guy? Or are you a half full person that, you know? In, in my experience with people, and it's been a 51 plus years now dealing with people in all kinds of capacities, there's all kinds. Half full, half empty, all empty, all full, no glass at all. <laughs> You're, those people you got to watch out for. Woohoo! But I hate negativity, I hate it with a passion. I steer clear of people who tend to be negative. I, I try to help, try to bring some positivity to their world and lighten their life and speak some, some words of, of truth and, and, and help and encouragement. And if it just doesn't set in after a while, I just try to avoid. See ya. I just, I just don't do well with now. I, I, I want to be that person who says, yep, it can be done. God, yep, God said it. We can do it. Yep, God wants it. Let's go for it. Yeah, I don't want to be negative. And, and this stuff is spreading like a poison. And it's getting the workers who are already discouraged and, and exhausted, man, it's just bearing down on them even more. Invariably, negativism comes in the church from professing Christians who live near the enemy, but they're not involved in the Lord's work, but they're going to spread that kind of garbage to the people who are. And negativism is definitely the enemy of faith. You believe that? When the children of Israel were supposed to go in and possess the promised land, the ten spies came out and said, can't be done. There are giants in the land. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. And what happened? That poisonous thought ran throughout the whole society of the Israelites and kept them in the wilderness for 40 years. And then they died. That's the kind of tactic the enemy loves to use. And then lastly, they used fear. Now, if you will, fear is the cumulative effect of all the above factors. The people had seen the enemy's anger. They had heard the mockery and the threats. They were wearing down through exhaustion and discouragement. Then they repeatedly heard gloom and doom from their fellow Jews who lived near the enemy. And then Nehemiah saw their fear and exhorting them with these words. Do not be afraid. Is like, well, that's it? <laughs> That's all he said. No, no, listen. Satan will use fear to paralyze God's people and keep them from attempting anything significant for God. And, and, and a couple different varieties. Maybe it's a fear of failure. You've never done it before. You, you don't know if you can do it, but, but you're, you're paralyzed by fear and you won't even try. Maybe it's a fear of rejection. If you do try it, then others are going to think you're a fanatic and they're going to stand away from you and move clear of you or whatever. And, or, or it could be a fear of conflict. If you do what God wants you to do, you know that you're going to catch some flack, so you back off and just keep everything smooth. I don't know what kind of fear has you paralyzed possibly, but I do know this. It does not belong in your life as a child of God. Does that make sense? Would you turn and tell your neighbor, do not be afraid. Now do it for real this time. About 10 of you did it. Tell them, do not be afraid. Then turn back and tell them this. God is with you. He is with you. These are some of the tactics that the enemy loves to use. Nehemiah said, listen, folks, God is with us. Our great and awesome God will not leave us. 
He will not forsake us. He will not reject us. This is his work. We are obedient to him in doing what he's called us to do. Man. So how should we respond when all of these attacks and maybe many others come our way? What's the proper way to handle that? Well, four quick things as we finish up this morning. The first one is simply this. Talk to God. Does that make sense? Now, how quick are we to run to somebody else to pick up that phone, to text, to call, to email, to send a carrier pigeon, smoke signals, whatever we have to do to tell them, you're not going to believe what's happening. This is going on. I tried this. This, this happened. These, these people came at me, started messing with this and trying to stop me. From, Can you believe that? No, they didn't do that. Instead, first and foremost, Nehemiah cried out to God and said, Lord, you see what's happening. Continue to work your majesty and power in us and through us. Keep us, God. He prayed and he said, God, we need you to continue this great work. Do not leave us. Listen, prayer reminds us that God is sovereign, even over those who are attacking us. He has allowed this trial for a reason. In prayer, we submit our hearts to him and acknowledge our trust in him. Nehemiah prays a powerful prayer. He says, do whatever you got to do with the enemy, God, but keep us safe. And that's, that's pretty strong. God, it's in your hands to deal with them as you see fit. But Lord, we trust you, and we love you. Pray, church, whatever's happening in your life, let it become a natural part of who you are to just stop and talk to God. No matter where you're at, what the circumstance, what the situation is, just even if it's a whisper prayer, even if you have to call out, God, help me, I'm, I'm, I'm in a situation now, Lord, please. Even if you have to just quietly in your heart, Lord, Lord, you see what's happening. I trust you, and I'm not moved by the circumstances. You can do more through prayer than any other mode of conversation or communication that there is. Prayer is always the priority. Next, notice that they put their hearts into the work. Work with all your heart. Verse 6 literally says the people had a heart to work. And you can tell when people do it with their hearts. You can tell when they go through the motions. There is a radical difference. These people were reminded by Nehemiah through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a project that God has assigned to us. I know they're coming at us. I know they're fighting us. I know they're trying everything they can to stop this. Do not give in. And the Bible tells us as they began to work with their hearts again that there was this slight pause while Nehemiah organized the militia. They didn't abandon the work to chase down the enemy. They didn't allow the enemy's threat to get their focus on other issues. They just kept building the wall. And pretty soon the enemy was outside looking up instead of looking straight across at them over the wall. They gave their hearts. They, they rededicated. Look at me, church. Sometimes you just got to rededicate your heart. Sometimes you got to come and say, Lord, I surrender all over again. God, have everything of me. Lord, restore my heart. Renew my heart, God. That's exactly what they did. And then thirdly, they kept their eyes on the enemy in vigilance. They, they didn't let up. Nehemiah prayed first, but then he set up a guard. 
Listen, folks, trust God and keep your powder dry. Be ready to fight. Also notice that Nehemiah's prayer didn't make the enemy go away, but instead the enemy upped the threats to attack. Prayer isn't a magic cure-all, but prayer doesn't mean that you can't ignore the enemy's threats or pretend they don't exist. Nehemiah was vigilant to arm the workers and post guards around the clock. I mean, literally he had people working with a, 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 a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other hand. Isn't that a great picture that you're, you're looking at this great project going on and these workers are out there and they've got a sword in one hand and a tool in the other hand continuing to build on the wall and not stopping progress. But ready at a moment's notice. Man, that, that, that tells us quite a bit as God's people. We've always got to be and write this down, working and warring. Working and warring, working and warring. Because we war against the enemy and the spiritual forces that come at us, we've got to be ready. We've got to have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, in, our, in one hand and in our hearts. And we've got to have a tool in the other hand. If you don't have both of those, then guess what? You are a sorry, pitifully equipped person of God. You are not ready for the work of God. You're not fit for the kingdom of God. And that's a bold statement. But God has literally called us to work, worship, and war. No other options. And man, if we get lazy, if we get discouraged, if we get, if get, get, get afraid or whatever and, and want to give up, then guess what? We lose. Don't lose. Stand up. Be a warrior. Be a, be a, a person who's going to hold to the word, that's going to have that sword in your hand and your heart. Be, be somebody who's going to step up and say, guess what? I don't care what you throw at me. I am ready for it because God has called me to this great work. I will not back down. I will not back down. Too often, we as God's people just take the enemy too lightly. Now, if we got this warning that there was this, this lion that escaped from the zoo and was roaming around the neighborhood out here near our church, and they still haven't caught it yet, some of you would still be still be very tempted to get to Bojangles. And you would be weighing it out in your mind. Should I? Shouldn't I? Can I go? Can I, you know, I don't see anything out there. So you would just be oblivious to it. Yeah, I'm going for it. Forget it. You know, I, the Bible tells us that Satan is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And too oftentimes we, we live like we're oblivious that, that there's any attack out there whatsoever. Nehemiah told his workers, be aware of your surroundings. Be vigilant. Be ready. Be watching. Be mindful. That, so, you know, it, it's easy to get caught up in a project, isn't it? It's easy to get caught up in something and, and get what we call tunnel vision, where you're just locked in on that. You don't know if anything else is going on around you. But, but in this situation, this scenario, he said, you can't afford to do that. The enemy is, is threatening. They're saying they're going to come and they're going to attack. So we want to be ready. We don't want to stop the work, but we don't want to be caught off guard. We've got to be ready. And in our walk with Christ, in our life with him, in our relationship with him, we've got to always be aware and understand the enemy is ever vigilant. He's always want to come and kill, steal, and destroy. So we've got to know his tactics. We've got to be on guard. We've got to be watching because he will slip in any way that he can find a small opening. And a big part of, of, of being on guard is being connected to the family. Where we can watch each other's backs. Ask somebody around you, you got my back? Ask them right now, you got my back because I, I got yours. We need God. We need each other. We've got to stay vigilant. And then lastly, stay 
focused. They kept their minds focused on the Lord. Close your eyes for a moment. Put yourself in their situation where this all-out assault and attack has, has come on the work of the enemy. Just, just close your eyes. No, very little moving around. I want, I want you to hear. I want you to hear what Nehemiah spoke to his army and reminded them of in verse 14. And I want this to be personal to every one of us listening right now, whether you're in this room or out of this room. Verse 14 of chapter 4 of Nehemiah. He stirred his people up. He brought them together. He rallied the troops, so to speak. And, and, and with your eyes closed, just let this soak into your heart. I, I, see, I see Mel Gibson in Braveheart speaking to his, his soldiers and, and rallying the troops and reminding them what the cause is and what the purpose is and fighting for their freedom, literally. But I see this on an even greater scale than that. This is a, a spiritual reminder to spiritual people. In verse 14, and you're saying, man, this better be good. That's quite the buildup. But listen to this and let it sink into your hearts and lives. Nehemiah gathers the people there and he says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Man, what a way to start. What he's saying is this, don't forget who God is. Don't let it slip your mind and your heart and your life that he is God, that he is able to do far above, exceedingly more than we could ever even ask, think, or even imagine. Remember the Lord, your God, who is great and awesome. And then he tells them this, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Listen, folks, the people were discouraged because they had gotten their focus on the enemy's threats and the pile of rubble and the work that was left to be done. But Nehemiah, Nehemiah rightly directed their focus back to the Lord. And that's where it's at, church. That's where it's at in life. Back to Jesus. It's all about him. It's all about remembering. Remembering who he is. Remembering that the son of the living God came from heaven. 2,000 plus years ago, he lived for 33 some odd years on this planet as a man. God became flesh, dwelled among us, and he surrendered his life on Calvary's cross to redeem us from our sins. Remember, church, you're fighting for yourself. You're fighting for your family. You're fighting for your home. You're fighting for your children. This is the, the good fight that we are called to be engaged in. To understand clearly what our purpose, our mission is. And I ask you right now. I ask you right now. Is discouragement set in? Is fear set in? Has a negative spirit captured your heart? What we're going to do right now is we're going to worship together with this song. I feel like it's so, so fitting. So, team, if you would go ahead and lead us in this chorus right now. And I want to ask everyone to stand to your feet. And then I'm going to come when we finish this song for just another moment. Would you stand up? Would you lift your hands and your hearts to the Lord today? And let this speak to you. Thank you for tuning into this week's message. For more information about Connections Church, you can go to connectionschurch.church or follow us on Facebook and Instagram.